Some years back, I, I was in conversation with the director of the alumni fund at my college alma mater, and he told me this really remarkable story. Uh, he had received a, um, a rather large donation. Uh, actually, it was a check in the amount of $10,000 given to the college from somebody who had never given a dime to the university before. In fact, this individual had been out of college for a very, very long time, and not any time in all those years had he ever given a dime to the university. And all of a sudden, boom, he drops a $10,000 check on the college. Well, the alumni fund director was really curious as to, to, know, to know what this had been spurred by. And the note had sort of suggested that there was something about the solicitation letter itself that had inspired this fresh involvement. And so the alumni fund director tracked down the particular piece of correspondence that had gone to this uh, individual donor, and he found out to his surprise that it was actually just one of the usual form letters. I mean, the ones that they were sending out to just about everybody. And, and, and for a moment, it made no sense to him that this would have inspired this fellow to do anything differently than he'd done in the past, until he noticed that there was indeed one small difference about this letter. While updating the alumni fund database, some probably tired secretary had miskeyed the name of the would-be donor. And instead of saying, Dear Jerry, the letter simply read, Dear Jerk. <laughs> Which suggests that it pays to be direct sometimes. And maybe that is why Jesus, in this particular passage we've just looked at, doesn't mince words. Seems almost painfully direct in his teaching. In each of these three successive vignettes, these little mini-teachings that Jesus gives us, Christ offers to you and to me a very direct invitation to examine ourselves. As we were looking at last week, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the mask wearers. Don't be like the people that are the religious actors Live your life with integrity. Be true, he's saying. And, and, and he says this to us and speaks directly to us in this way that he does, not because he thinks we're jerks, actually just the opposite. Jesus lays down his life for this world. He loves this world so much that he's willing to sacrifice blood uh, for the sake of this world. But as we've been discovering over the past several weeks as we've been in this little mini-series, Jesus loves us far too much, actually, to not speak the truth to us about the really important matters of our lives. He boldly challenges us in this particular passage to grow in one of the most important, influential, and exciting dimensions of the Christian life, of the disciple's life. Jesus is challenging us in all three of these vignettes in the dimension of life that is often called stewardship. That is, after all, if you think about it, the theme that actually ties together these three mini-stories. According to the words of Jesus in this particular passage, our calling is threefold. First, it is to give to the needy. Jesus expects that his followers, his disciples, will give to the needy. Secondly, it is to pray so that our giving, indeed all of our living, and our whole life, you know, is about giving, right? It's not just when, we, when the offering plate comes by. Every day is an act of bringing out, of giving 
something of who we are uh, to this world, to, to God's cause, to the people around us. And thirdly, Jesus says that our calling is to sacrifice, if need be, to make the giving possible. Because that is what fasting is all about. That's what it means to fast. Fasting is aimed at detaching oneself from one particular object of desire in order to make the pursuit of God and God's interests our new desire, our preeminent desire and concern. We fast in order to to detach, in order to attach to a greater desire. We are to give to the needy, to pray and to fast. And few things so align our lives with God's own character uh, as the act of, of generous stewardship. And these things will, as we'll talk about, work together. Before we leave today, I, I want to try and lift out a few simple elements of Christ's teaching on this subject. Let me just say that, you know, often pastors hammer this stuff uh, at the end of the year. Have you ever noticed that? You ever attend a church? It's almost scary to visit a church in October or November because you're prob- somebody's going to probably bring out the stewardship message. And so I'm relieved to talk to you at a time when desperation isn't driving me to this place. Uh, but when, when we can just look together at what Jesus has to, to say to us here. Um, and so let me just hit a couple of, of key elements that I think will help us to understand better why and how to walk this particular uh, way uh, of life. One of the first things that struck me as I was looking at this text this week is that Jesus assumes, he assumes, that every person who really thinks about it uh, from the vantage point of God will want to be a generous steward. He assumes people will want to be generous stewards or in the process of trying to become more generous stewards. Why, Why do I think that? Well, consider the words Jesus speaks to us here. Jesus could really easily have said, If you ever give to the needy, or if you should get around to thinking about praying, or if for some strange reason you ever chose to fast, Jesus could have put it that way. Yet in all three of the scenarios that are included in this little uh, triplet of teaching we're studying, Jesus uses not the conditional word if, but the convictional word hotan. Hotan in the Greek which literally means whenever, whenever. It's as if Jesus is saying, of course you will want to give to meet the spiritual and physical needs of other people. Uh, So whenever you're doing it, of course you will. Of course you'll seek God's guidance in prayer about this, and of course you'll adopt the habit of fasting or denying something in yourself, uh, some uh, current frivolity or attachment in order to have something more to give. Of course you'll do these things. Fasting and praying and giving will not be for you an if or a maybe phenomenon. They will be a whenever way of life. They will be a, an ongoing practice of your life. Now why do you think Jesus assumes that? I mean I think it's a fair question. Why does he make an assumption that all these ordinary people, and keep in mind, he's talk, this is the Sermon on the Mount here. He's talking to, he's not talking to a group of pastors. He's talking to all kinds of regular people uh, on this hillside. Why does he assume that we would want to be people 
willing to fast to give up something and to pray for God's guidance in order that we could give more and give better than we. Why does Jesus assume that? Well, uh, one way of coming at that, I suppose, is to illustrate what I think is a fundamental biblical principle by way of a, of a story that maybe some of you will remember hearing me tell once before. While out shopping one day, uh, maybe some of you were there today, out at the mall, uh, a, a woman became a, a little hungry, and so she was attracted to one of those marvelous specialty shops that sells those phenomenal cookies. You know those warm, gooey ones, right, I'm, that make your mouth water, just seeing them sitting there on the, on the shelf? So she's there, and she, she, she picks up a bag of these chocolate chip cookies, and she puts the bag in her purse, and then she stops into this crowded coffee shop nearby. And so she goes up to the counter and she procures a, a, a triple mocha decaf latte or whatever it is that, that she does. It sounds very good right now, doesn't it? Um, I know. I, I'm ready to go. Are you guys ready to go? And she gets this and she goes over and she sits down at a, at a table. And, um, and, and she um, opens up her purse and... And she sets her purse on the table, and she takes out a magazine, and she begins reading uh, from the magazine right across from another man who's sitting on the other side of the table who is uh, sitting there reading um, his newspaper, too. Well, a few minutes later, she looks up, and, and she reaches out um, for a cookie from the bag, and, and she takes one only to observe the man taking one for himself. And she's just blown away. And she glares at him, but he just smiles at her. And she just kind of shakes, and she, you know, not wanting to make a scene, she goes back to reading. Moments later, she, she reaches out for another cookie, only to find the stranger's taking another one for himself. And she really now, she glares angrily right into the eyes of this guy. And, and, she, and, and, and she's looking at the one remaining cookie in the bag on the table. And, and the man suddenly reaches over, picks up the cookie, breaks it in half, and offers her half. And with righteous indignation, she not only snatches the piece from his hand, but, but, but makes a quick swipe grab at, at his hand, and then stuffs the cookie into her mouth as the man smiles at her again. And, and he rises and waves and leaves the shop. Well, steaming with fury now, her coffee break completely ruined, the woman reaches for her purse to put her magazine away, and you might imagine her surprise when she sees there her cookie bag unopened. Now, I like to think that that woman left the shop a little bit changed. Wouldn't you? I'd like to think that that experience humbled her that the witness of this stranger who had so willingly given up for her what she would have so 
selfishly fought to keep for herself. I like to think that this would alter something deep inside of her. I, I like to think that when you and I leave this shop, we'll leave a little more change too. That every time we have an encounter with the generosity of God, we'll be changed too. Uh, that the encounter we have with this one who a lot of the time, in fact, right behind the screen there is a table, who sits at this table with us. Um, this one who, who gave up uh, so much more than, than a few cookies without complaint to meet our hunger and our need. I like to think that this encounter we have with, with the grace of God in Jesus would humble us and change us. And, and, and I think on some level, it, it probably does. I mean, I, I know that for me, that the way I use my own resources gets altered a bit every time I really get a look into the face of Jesus. When I read about Christ in the pages of this book and I see the way he handles himself and cares for people, uh, when I feel him coming close to me as I did when all of you were singing, uh, when I feel him coming close to me with his tender, loving heart, or when I encounter him in your eyes, I find myself altered some, some somehow and and maybe not at a level that is enough but I I realize that in a deeper way that I I eat all the time out of his bag I mean really I do I I spend all of my life eating out of the bag of God's provision everything that I have everything that I am is really at the end of the day a good and gracious gift from him and and over time I find myself through that reflective process wanting to give more than I, than I might normally do. I I'm, I'm become more willing to give more of my cookies away the more I think about his example. I find myself aspiring to pray that I might be led to become one of those people who goes to people who are anxious and hungry and oppressed and struggling so that I can have the privilege of sharing with them what they obviously need. I find myself willing to fast more and more as I go along in the Christian life to let go of some bag or some bounty that I have been too selfishly clinging to so that I might, like Jesus, have this joy of extending the miracle of grace. This joy, even if it's painful sometimes to do it, this joyful privilege of extending to others, as Christ did, the miracle of grace. How is that true for you? Is any of that true for you? Do you notice that, that today you are a much more generous person than you were five years ago because of your relationship with Jesus? Now, is it, is it crazy to think that in order to provide for all of the classes where kids get given good, solid moral teaching or in order to advance the youth group gatherings or to support the power of ministries like Elam and so many others or to support the small groups and the communities and the classes and the choirs where adults and, and many others are supplied with food for the mind and the heart and the soul. Is it crazy that we might reach a little more deeply this year into our bag than we have in the past? Is it naive to think that in order to make possible all the visits and the outreach ministries and the 
and the missions where people around the corner and around the world are being fed with bread and the bread of life, is it crazy to think that we might actually want to reach into our bag? And finding 10 wonderful cookies there, be blessed to give away just one of them, even one of them, to those across the table. Is that irrational? Is that naive? What do you think? Because if we did that, if, if you and I became people that, were, that could give one cookie out of ten, we would be substantially different. That would actually set us apart from most of the other people in the coffee shop. Because today, the, uh, the average occupant of the American coffee shop uh, contributes 2.6%, 2.6% of their income to charitable causes. Not, not 10, not one cookie out of 10, but 2.6, the average American, barely a crumb, even less, that number is even less than the average Americans during the Depression were giving away. Is it crazy to think that we, as the Apostle Paul says, we who know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, is it crazy to think that we, at least these followers of Jesus in the coffee shop, would be ones pleased to meet at least the Old Testament standard of 1 in 10, a tithe, 10%. What do you think? What do you think? There's a second thing in this passage, however, that I think is worth keeping in mind as well. And you might find it interesting to note that when Jesus says, whenever you give to the needy or whenever you pray or whenever you fast, he is, he is using the singular form of the word you. Now remember again, Jesus is talking, this is the Sermon on the Mount, there's 5,000 people in front of him, but he is addressing every single individual one of us. He uses the singular word you. You see, stewardship is personal. Um, it's something we do together. Uh, this church is able to give away to mission causes a million and a half dollars a year and, and commit all kinds of other resources and all the other ministries I'm describing and other local churches do the same. Um, it's able to do that. We do this together, but because of individual personal choices. Uh, it's because of what you do in response. It does not hinge on how much or how little the person next to you is doing. Stewardship is a transaction between you and God alone. It isn't about dividing the total budget of the church by how many members there happen to be. Uh, it's far more personal than that. How you give, how you choose to pray in to, for God to guide your giving, and how you choose to fast so as to be able to give, um, really answer, practically speaking, a very personal question that Jesus asks us. And the question is this, who do you say that I am? Who, who do you really say that I am? How important am I and what I'm doing in this world, seek to do in this world, how important is that to you? That, I suppose, is the reason that Jesus says that when we give or when we pray or when we sacrifice, we ought to do it in secret. 
Because in Jesus' day, people's motivations for religious practices sometimes got confused. We touched on this a little bit last week. Public fasts were proclaimed by the sounding of trumpets, at which time prayers for rain got recited aloud in the streets by the allegedly pious. This was being done all over the ancient world. You'd hear the, they'd, they'd sound the trumpets and people would pray for God to bless. Please pour down rain. Give us more of what we need. And, and the allegedly pious would be some of the loudest prayer warriors in these moments. It was widely thought that giving alms, giving to the needy at this particular time, uh, actually increased the power of those prayers and of, of fasting. And apparently some of the Pharisees in the time of Jesus, and the Pharisees had a habit, as I mentioned last week, they did a lot of very religious things. They had a habit of fasting every Monday and every Thursday. Those were fasting days for the Pharisees. They would go around unwashed on those days. They wouldn't bother to shave. They wouldn't clean up. They would sort of make it very clear that um, they were doing the fasting thing. In fact, they wouldn't put oil on their hair, which was often done in those days, uh, in order to draw attention from other people to their piety. And Jesus had very hard words about that kind of display of religious devotion. That's not to say that there aren't times and places for celebrating religious devotion or the generosity of faithful people. In fact, Jesus at one point commended a, uh, a widow woman that gave a mite, a tiny little offering to the temple treasury. He, he commended her publicly for her gift because she had made a truly sacrificial gift in, in doing this. But, but the words of Jesus, even in that text, are a very important challenge to remember that the Real spiritual life begins with this deep, humble, inner gratitude to God for what he's put in the bag and how he's given us access to it. It's this deep, humble, inner sense of gratitude for all of God's grace. And from that place of gratitude, it works its way out unselfconsciously. Right? Like the guy in the coffee shop. Who, who, who didn't kind of pick up the bag and shake it, you know? Hey, show everybody that I'm going to give to this woman, right? No. Unselfconscious generosity is the outworking of deep, humble gratitude. And the public will never know. Other people sitting in this room will never know how generous your personal choice was. They won't. I won't know. I won't know. I don't, I don't look at the numbers. I don't look at the specific giving. But somebody is going to know. Someone important will know, says Jesus. The one, the only one whose opinion really counts in the end. Your father who sees what is done in secret, says Jesus, he'll know and he will reward you. Now the word for reward there is apodidomai. Apodidomai in the Greek, and it means payback. What kind of payback for, for generous stewardship are we talking about? Well, there is the obvious payback of seeing the hopeful faces of the young and the old that you've managed to help through your generosity. There is the reward of hearing the news of the amazing life change. Read your way through that 
that newsletter, that mission newsletter, there's the, the joy of, of hearing the tidings of that incredible life change that has happened because you and I dared to give more than a crumb from our bag. There is also the less obvious payback that comes from knowing that you're doing something eternally significant with your life and not wasting it all on trivial stuff that goes away. There's the reward of, of discovering that God is actually setting you free through this experience of detachment, of fasting. He's setting you free from the kingdom of thingdom, right? Which is always trying to own us in this world. But I also believe there's an altogether different kind of payback that awaits us one day. Because in several of his parables, Jesus tells us that one day we're going to all be held accountable for what we did with what we had in our hands, for the way we've lived our lives and stewarded the resources entrusted to us. One day, every single one of us in this room is going to find ourselves face to face with the Lord of the universe, a being before whose majesty we will involuntarily fall on our knees in abject wonder and worship. And all that will fill us in that hour will be a sense of complete joy or complete poverty before his staggering richness. And, and that particular day will be a hard one for those of us who buried our riches for fear of losing them, who built bigger and bigger barns, more trips to the container store, without putting these things to use for really worthy needs, or those of us who comforted ourselves while the least of Christ's brothers and sisters remained in such dire need. They had best have long memories, say Jesus, who are like that. They had best have a really good memories. For I tell you the truth, they will have already received their reward in full. And yet, for you, for you, whose trust in the Lord, whose delight in serving his cause, the cause of the king, how wonderful for you will be the day when you discover fully that every dollar and every deed that you invested in his name here has, e has earned an eternity's worth of interest. How glorious the moment when you know for certain that all along there was somebody who did see what you were doing in his secret service. He will sit across the eternal banquet table from you. He will open up his bag and look at you and smile. He will reach in and take from what is within. And no matter how great or how small the gift that you have made in this life, if it was given with the heart of a true steward, Christ's words to you at that moment will be priceless. Well done, he'll say. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Here's more to manage. Here's more to give away. Come, enter into the joy of your master. May 
that be so for you and me when we arrive at that table? Let's pray together. All-seeing God, all-giving God, we come before you today very conscious that none of us can earn your grace by our own merit. We know that nothing but your redeeming grace gets us a place in your eternal home. And yet conscious that what we do with our resources bespeaks where our reliance truly lies, we come humbly asking you to help us to invest our trust more and more in the way of your kingdom. As we go from here tonight, make us eager to seek in prayer your guidance for the use of the resources entrusted to us. Make us bold to sacrifice whatever vanities or idolatries occupy your rightful place on the throne of our lives. And make us generous in our cheerful giving, Lord. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, who for our sake gave it all. Amen.